I'm thinking about the number of times that David, the psalmist, had to trust God in his life. Do you, do you remember the first time that David is introduced to us in Scripture? It's back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and David is out tending his father's sheep. And all of his brothers have been called in to come home and to, to clean up. Samuel the prophet has invited Jesse to come to the sacrifice which he was to make before the Lord. And Jesse was to come and be there and bring his sons with him. And little did Jesse know that Samuel was on a mission from God to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king over Israel. But Jesse did not invite all of his sons. He left David, his youngest son, in the field to look after the sheep. And so as Jesse's sons arrive, Samuel is there, and he is looking over them, and he was quite impressed with them. The, the, particularly that first son, Eliab, he's the oldest, and I can almost hear Samuel say, wow, this is the guy. He is, he's tall, he's strong, he's carrying himself well, he's confident in himself. Surely this is the one that God has chosen, and he's the oldest. It only makes sense. This is the guy. But about that time, God steps up to Samuel's ear and says to him, Hey, Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel settles back into his chair and he watches as each son of Jesse passes by him. And, and they're certainly all out of the same mold. They were very impressive young men, but they were not God's choice for the next king over Israel. And when the parade of sons had finished, Samuel turns to Jesse and says to him, Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, Oh, yeah, I, I have one more son. He's out in the field watching the sheep. He's my youngest son. You wouldn't be interested in it. Go get him, Samuel says. Go get him. And so they send for David, and David comes before Samuel, and he's not near the specimen of a man that his brothers were. He's much smaller than his older brothers. The text says that he was ruddy, which means he, he was reddish. Maybe David had red hair and, and a reddish complexion about him from being out in the sun. The text does say that he was handsome. The text says that he had beautiful eyes. He would not have been Samuel's choice for the next king, but he was God's choice. And God said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. I noticed that just this last week as I was looking at the text. In the midst of his brothers, Samuel anointed David to be the next king over Israel. I wonder what that was like. I can hardly imagine that his brothers were ready to throw a party for him. You know, he was their younger brother. 
And maybe that explains why they were rather smug to him the next time we see them together in Scripture, the very next chapter, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Three of David's brothers have joined Saul's army, and the whole army of Israel was quite stressed over the fact that the Philistines had a champion named Goliath. And Goliath was belittling them. He was challenging them to fight, and no one was brave enough to accept the challenge. Every time he challenged them, they just simply fell back, and they were afraid, and and they were not willing to take that challenge. And who could blame them? Goliath stood nine feet six inches tall. You think about that. He would have been two, almost two and a half feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. He would have dwarfed him. Goliath was an experienced fighter. He was a trained killer. And whoever would dare stand up against him didn't hardly stand a chance. Well, maybe you recall what happened. David was sent by his father to check on his brothers and bring them some food. And as he was at the battle line, Goliath did his daily thing in standing up and challenging the, 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 the soldiers of Israel and the God of Israel. And while David's brothers and all of their fellow soldiers fell back in fear, David simply said, I'll fight that guy. With God's help, I'll fight him, I'll win. Who who does he think he is that he can stand up and defy the God of Israel? Well, his older brothers had something to say to him about that. And it wasn't very nice. But David found himself out there in the middle of that battlefield facing that giant and all he had in his hand was a sling and one stone, four other stones in his pouch and that one stone is all he needed because he trusted in God to help him. And the giant came tumbling down. Over and over again, David finds himself in a position where he was needing to trust God. Saul the king watched and he listened as David's popularity rose before the people and his own popularity plummeted. And so Saul began to chase David all over the countryside trying to kill him. And David had to trust God day and night for his life. And maybe it shouldn't surprise us that when we get to the book of Psalms, we find a continuous thread that weaves its way through David's writings about trusting God. Let me read to you some of those passages this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to follow along. Chapter 9 of Psalms, verse 9, David writes this, The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. (laughs) That's pretty good news, isn't it? I mean, we all have times of trouble, and to know that God wants to be our stronghold amidst those times, that's encouraging news. Look at verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those 
who seek you. I, I want you to think about the progression that we see in these verses. Trouble comes, and, and, and that's just pretty commonplace for all of us. It, Job says that life is full of trouble. It seems to find us. It knocks on our door, and whether we want to answer it or not, it is there. And when it does come, He is our stronghold. And those who know Him will put their trust in Him, David says, and He will not forsake us. Do you sense that progression? There is trouble. He is our stronghold. Those who know Him will put their trust in Him and His promise is that He will never forsake us. Hang on to that promise, brother and sister. Chapter 25 of Psalms. This is where I want to go next, the first two verses. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. We're talking about trusting God. Maybe we better make sure that we understand exactly what that means. To trust God means to be confident in Him. It means to be sure of Him and secure in Him. It means to rely upon Him. It means to believe in Him to the point that you rely upon Him. David says this, Oh my God, I trust in You. I put my confidence in You. I am sure of you and your promises. Notice David was not trusting in himself. He was trusting in God. Chapter 31 of the book of Psalms, verses 14 and 15. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. If you're reading from the New Living Translation, that verse 15 says, My future is in your hands. Now that's trust. I don't know what my future is, but I know the one who holds my future in the palm of his hand. Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my health. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my retirement. I trust you, Lord, because I believe that you have a plan for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me hope and a future. My question to each of you today would be this. Can you say that? Can you say, God, my future is in your hands and I trust you with it? You know what the opposite of trust is? Worry. And what good does worry do us? I mean, we all know the answer to that question. It doesn't do us one little bit of good. It only complicates things. It makes matters worse. 
Three times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us not to worry. He says, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about what there is to drink. Don't worry about the clothes on your back. Don't worry about tomorrow. Put me first, he says, and my kingdom Trust me, in other words. That's what he's saying. You trust me with your life. Understand that your future is in my hands. So you trust me with that, and I will take care of you. Chapter 33 of Psalms, verse 21. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. I think there is a definite connection between trusting God and being able to rejoice in Him. If we're not trusting Him, if we're all worked up, if we're uptight over things, then it's pretty hard for us to have joy. And God wants us to put our trust in Him, and when we do, then we can have fullness of joy. I mean... Brothers and sisters, these verses on trusting God thread throughout the entire book of Psalms. That's why I'm encouraging you to read through the book of Psalms this summer and learn about trusting Him. Let me read to you chapter 40. The first part of just of verse 4. Chapter 40, verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. That's very connected with the former verse that we just read, happiness and trusting God go together. If you're worrying, then it steals away from your happiness. On the other hand, if you are trusting God and you are holding on to His promises, then you can be happy and secure in Him. It doesn't mean that you will be without problems, but it means that you can be having peace amidst the problems. Chapter 44 of Psalms, verses 4 through 8. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversaries. Through your name we will trample down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But you have saved us from our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. I want to point out to you from this scripture what we should not put our trust in. We, we do not put our trust in our weapons of warfare. Did you see what David is saying there in, the, in that chapter? He says, I will not put my trust in my bow. That's, that's a message that we need to grab a hold of. Do you understand this from Scripture, that the nations are, a, are like a drop in the bucket to God? Just let that sink into your mind for a moment. The nations are like a drop in the bucket to God. The United States of America is one of those nations. We are like a drop in the bucket 
to God. I don't care how advanced we are in our technology. I don't care how much firepower we might have in our military arsenal. We should not put our trust in our bow or our guns. We put our trust in Him. You know what else we should not put our trust in? Our money. Our stocks. All of our stuff. Proverbs 23, 5 says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Don't put your trust in your money and your possessions because it can all be gone just like that. Our trust needs to be in Him. He is the one who is secure. Don't put your trust in government thinking that they're going to give us something solid to stand on, thinking that you know if the right guy gets in in this next term, then he's going to turn things around and he's going to make everything right. Don't put your trust in government. Put your trust in God. Psalms 146.3 says, Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. Put your trust in Him. Because He is the one who is unshakable. He is the one who is immovable. He is the one who is the truth. He is reliable. He is the one who has a track record that is perfect. He is rock solid when everything else is topsy-turvy. Who is it that we put our trust in? We put our trust in Him. We are confident in Him. We are sure of Him and His promises. We believe in Him to the point that we rely upon Him. I'll give to you two more passages. Psalms 56 and verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. He's talking to God. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. What is it that makes you afraid? The last weekend, I witnessed a family in our church doing their very best to put their trust in God in a time when they could have easily succumbed to fear. It was last Friday. I was at home and out in the yard doing some yard work and I just happened to look at my phone and I saw a text from my secretary and she said, Ryan White is being life-flighted to KU Med Center. I thought, my, what's going on? And so I happened to have Ryan's cell number in my phone and I dialed his cell number hoping that his wife Cody would pick up and she did. And I said, Cody, this is Kevin, what's... What's going on? I've just seen a text about Ryan. She said, well, actually, we are, we are still here at Mercy Hospital in the ER. They're going to be life-flighting him here pretty quick. He told me he'd had an, a, a horse accident, actually six weeks prior. And it kind of had escalated to that day. And so I, I just 
dropped everything. I, I said to her on the phone, I'd like to come up and be with you. Is that okay? Yes. And I went up there and, uh, you know, the helicopter came and took him and off to KU he went and, and I followed them on up there and I was in the room as the neurosurgeon there at KU Med came in and was talking to Ryan and Cody about his situation and describing to them that the next morning he would like to go into, through his skull, into his head, into the, the brain cavity. They found a cyst. They wanted to remove that, and they felt like there was a leakage of spinal fluid on his brain and that they needed to relieve the pressure of that. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, this young couple... And they've got three kids. My, oh my, what a message to deal with. And I just, I watched them and I prayed with them and I talked with them and I sensed that they were really trying their best to just give it all to him, to trust him, to, to put it in his hands because, you know, it was much bigger than they were. They couldn't fix this problem. And so the, the only solution is to trust God. My question to you is, what is it that makes you afraid? Had somebody come to me just before the service this morning and, and told me that they had got the news this week, they'd lost their job, and they were very concerned about their future. What is it that makes you afraid? David says here in Psalms 56 and verse 3, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, God. That must be our response. Whatever it is, whether it's something with the, the job, whether it's something with the family, the marriage, the future, I must put my trust in Him because He is the only one who is rock solid. Chapter 62 and verse 8, David says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Wow. What a challenge. To trust in Him at all times, no matter what comes our way, that we would be confident in Him, that we would be believing in Him to a point that we rely upon Him. Yes, Ryan and Cody had to put their trust in the doctor in that situation. But more than that, they had to put their trust in God whose future is in his hands. I want to call Caleb to come and share with you this morning how God has been working in his family and in his life in helping them learn this lesson on trust. If, uh, if you don't know me, my name's Caleb. I've been on staff here for the last three years, and this is my last Sunday um, here with you guys. And uh, 
I'm not going to preach. Um, didn't even bring a Bible up with me. I just want to share kind of a combination of testimony and thank you. Um, and so the last two weeks have been crazy in our house. And so my wife and I, we've been trying to pack up and find a place to live. We're moving to Louisville, Kentucky, southern Indiana area. And we have a two-year-old son named Finley. A lot of you know that. And so we've been trying to figure out if Finn knows what's going on. And most of the time, it seems like he has absolutely no idea because people in the church are like, buddy, we're going to miss you. And he's like, candy. <laughs> Do you have candy? But most of the time, he, he doesn't know what's going on. But on Tuesday this week, or no, Wednesday, it was Wednesday, um, one of his best friends in the world is, is Trey Malone. And uh, they have played with each other. My wife has watched him um, for the past year and a half, two years. And Tuesday was the last day with Trey. And so that night, Rachel put Finn down and, and said, you know, Trey's not going to be here in the morning. And he just said, no, Trey, okay, I'll go to bed. And he got his stuffed animals. He fell asleep. And in the morning, normally we're used to him, you know, calling out, Mommy, Daddy, just screaming at the top of his lungs. And that morning he was going, Trey. We went up there and he was weeping. I mean, just weeping like, like his heart was broken. And we brought him downstairs and he just laid on the floor just calling for Trey. And he finally started feeling a little bit better. And he stumbled into the like dining room area where we're boxing up everything. And all of a sudden he starts to cry again. And he just goes, these boxes. I don't like these boxes. And, and, and she went over to him and goes, honey, we're we're going to be moving to a new house. We're not going to be here anymore. And I was in the bedroom changing, getting ready to come to the church. And he runs into the bedroom, weeping all over again, jumps into the closet. And I can hear him as he lays there crying, just going, I don't want to go. And so we got down to his level and explained to him, you know, that, that this is hard, but it's a good thing. And, and he's... <laughs> you know, starting to finish up his crying, and Rachel gets down and goes, and I'm so proud of my wife because she uses moments like this all the time to teach him about God, and she says, she says, honey, you know, in fact, this whole earth is not even our home. Our real home is with God, and he goes, we don't even have a home, and he just started crying. This, this, this has been a crazy two weeks. For our family. Um, in fact, it's been, it's been a crazy six months. And I just want to give you kind of a testimony of some of the things that we've gone through. And how we have, we have struggled to trust God. And how we have learned what it actually looks like to trust God. And if, I can't help but preach even if it's not supposed to be a sermon. So if, if this was a sermon, this is what I would want you to hear. A lot of the time, trusting God means trusting yourself to God's people. I'll say that one more time for preacher's clarity. <laughs> Sometimes, if not all the time, trusting God is in fact trusting yourself to God's people. 
And so when Rachel and I, my wife, we started dating back in college, you know, eventually we got to the awkward conversation that will always happen, but it's kind of the, hey, so yeah, kids someday, right? Hmm, you want, yeah, I would like kids, how many? And, you know, kind of figuring out how to go about that without sounding like a weird creeper in some way, you know? And so we both were on the same page. We would like kind of a big family. I came from a family of four brothers. She came from a family of three sisters. And so we settled somewhere between like six, four kids, something like that, you know. And so when we got married, it wasn't more than a year, year and a half before our son Finley was born. And man, it's just incredible to watch my wife be a mother. And it was one of the coolest things ever to be a, to be a dad, even though I have no idea what I'm doing and still don't. And so we begin to talk about, you know, what it would look like for our family to grow. And in January of this past year, on, on my birthday, my wife brings me a cup of coffee. I'm still in bed. She wakes me up with a cup of coffee. And I'm like, this is really neat. And she hands it to me, and I drink the cup of coffee. She's watching me drink this cup of coffee. And I'm like, this is bizarre, but it's fine. And as I finish the cup of coffee, I see that she'd written in the bottom of the mug, we're pregnant. And so I finished that, and I was like, yeah, and we just had a little kind of rejoicing moment right there. It was so cool, and we told our family, and it was just a very exciting moment, very exciting moment. And so we go through the normal processes of, of what that looks like, and eventually you have a 12-week appointment. And so we go in, and I remember we drive all the way to Pittsburgh, and, um, you know, we're talking about names, we're doing all the things that you typically do, and Long story short, we're in the office with the doctor, and the doctor looks up at us with a kind of glazed-over look and says, there's no heartbeat. And I say that, and many of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. And being 25, and my wife 24, and having no history of any medical complications or any tragedy, really, in our own personal lives. We didn't even know how to respond emotionally. or So we just sat there for about 30 minutes just asking a lot of obvious questions. The doctor responded the best he could, and next thing we knew, the office was empty, and it was just the two of us in there, and we just cried and prayed. I remember texting the staff and how some of the people in the church begin to find out and how in a matter of hours our phones were filled with text messages and prayers and food was at our house, meals were taken care of. And it was kind of in the midst of that that we learned that a lot of the time trusting God is trusting yourself to God's people. And so as the months went on and you know, we begin to really just see kind of God's hand and his timing in life to where so often things don't go our way and we would never choose them, right? But we can still see God and his sovereign, mysterious sort of methods still doing things according to his plan and his glory. And, and it's incredible when you can get to a phase in life where you're like, God, we're okay with this. I wouldn't have chosen it, but we're okay with this. And Around April or so, I'm over in, I'm in Thailand. I went on a mission trip there for about two and a half weeks. And 
So I'm overseas, I'm at my friend's house, we'd just gotten back from Myanmar, we'd been teaching for a week at a conference, and Rachel had given me a stack of letters each day for me to open as we were on the trip, and day 11, she, it says on the note, FaceTime me before you open it, and so I FaceTime her, and she's like, did you open? I said, no, it's, I'm following the instructions, it's what I'm doing, and, and so I opened this letter while I'm FaceTiming her, and it's just a big card for pregnant. And I was there with two of my best friends on the other side of the world in the morning. It's the late at night here in America, and I'm FaceTiming with my wife, and we just shared a really, really cool moment. And we were so excited and, and so thrilled and thankful, and it was a really, really great moment. And so as we progressed through the school year, wrap things up, we're preparing for the summer. We had another doctor's appointment. This one we were kind of nervous for. So I remember we drove to Pittsburgh and we weren't really talking too much. And I remember my wife even saying, I'm, I'm not wanting to really talk about names. And it was just a different feel. And so we went into the doctor's office, same doctor, same nurse, same room. And we sit in there and we look up at that same doctor who gives us the same look and says, there's no heartbeat. And then the room was empty and then it was my wife and I. And I just remember we were crying and praying. Doctor comes back in and says, well, it's a type of pregnancy that has some potential major complications that come along with it. The word cancer was thrown around tests that need to be taken every week for the next three months. Long story short, we're in a really good place. My wife is healthy. There's no long-term issues. But to hear that again at 25, 24, you learn very quickly that trusting God looks a lot like trusting God's people. We've become a part of an adult small group. Um, we love high school students and college students, but sometimes we need to be with people who are our age. And so in the last three months or so, we've we hosted an adult small group with other young families who have kids about the same age as our son. And as soon as we got this news, because our small group knew that we were going in and we were nervous about what the doctor would say, and as soon as we got this news... My wife texts all the ladies in the small group, and I text some of the guys. And that, that evening, there were four women at our house. There were four women at our house surrounding my wife and praying for her. With their hands on her. Sharing stories of loss and pain that they've experienced. Reminding her of the promises of God and, and truth. And they left and, and we were in the house. And I just remember us both just saying, man, trusting God looks a lot like trusting God's people. And we are so thankful for God's people. And we are so thankful for you all. We are so thankful that you guys have shared your lives with us, that you have been an encouragement, a joy, a, a group of people who have shown just continual love and grace to us in so many ways.
And if there were any challenge or application to this testimony slash sermon, <laughs> I would say that we all need to learn that trusting God looks a lot like placing our life in a position where we are surrounded by his people. And a Sunday morning is a great place to come into a building and, and sit in these comfortable chairs and look up here on this stage, participate in, in singing and, and hear God's word taught. But walking into a building on a Sunday morning is absolutely no substitute for truly saying, God, I will trust you and I will do so by trusting myself to your people. And I will be in people's homes and I will open my life and my heart to them and I will have people in my house and I will open my life and my house and my heart and my family to them and I'll share my hurts so that they can bear those burdens with me and I'll ask sincere, honest questions of them so that I can bear their burdens as well. Because it's become a cliche in the church and it never should be considered a cliche that we throw out, but we say it all the time, forget its impact. It's, the church is not a building, but it's made up of people. We're the bride of Christ, we're a body. This is simply walls, carpet chairs. We are the church, I am the church, you are the church. Trusting God is in fact trusting yourself to God's people, even when it's uncomfortable. And there is nothing about this building that I will miss. It's a beautiful building. But I will not be in southern Indiana, sitting at our new dinner table, talking to my wife, saying, I miss the carpet at Community Christian Church. I will never say, I really miss my office with no window. <laughs> I'll say I miss the people that God blessed us with for the short time that we were in their life and they were in ours. Who built us up and spoke truth to us and loved us and provided when we had needs, prayed when we were hurting, and comforted us when we needed comfort. And I thank you all for that. And I challenge you that let your trust of God translate into a trust of God's people, that you are in each other's life truly, so that you can bear each other's burdens, and so that you can be a people who are hand in hand, serving God together, and caring each other. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll miss all of you. And we're so thankful for our time that we've been with you. And I have no idea what is happening next, Kevin. <laughs> so that was a bad conclusion, but thank you. Is, Ray, is Rachel here? She is. Okay. I'll just have that for a time now. We have greatly appreciated Caleb and Rachel and Finn 
and the ministry that they've had here at our church. Uh, they leave uh, a place that loves them, and our prayers will go with you as you have felt called to another place to serve. And uh, I think it would be very good if we just ask for God's blessing upon their lives at this time and, and uh, His blessing upon their ministry there in uh, southern Indiana. Let's pray together. Would you just take a moment and pray thanks to God for Caleb and Rachel and pray for their upcoming ministry. We ask your blessing, Lord, upon the Hutchcraft family. Thank you for their impact on our kids. But not just on our kids, but upon the whole church, Lord. They have touched the whole church. And we thank you for that. And Father, help them in their new ministry to come as they have felt called to go to this new place. Lord, I know uh, that you have great days ahead for them and those that they'll be working with. And we pray too for our own church as we have a hole to fill. Our kids particularly, Lord, the middle school and high school kids of our church, I pray that they would trust you during this time to know that their future is in your hands. And Father, lead us to the right person. And we pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead. Thank you. So we're talking about trusting God. And certainly Caleb and Rachel are learning lessons about trust as these trials that they have faced over these last six months, they've had to learn about trust. And then as God has begun to move through his Holy Spirit in their life, leading them to another ministry, that was not our plan, that was God's plan. And Sometimes God's plan looks different than our plan, and so we have to trust him. And so I'm asking you as a congregation to trust him. You know, as Caleb and Rachel move on in God's plan for their life, we believe that God has a plan for us. He's, he's not abandoning us at all. He's got somebody that is in his plan to be here next for the youth ministry position. And so, in the meantime, we pray. And we have confidence in him. And we know that his plan is right. Let's stand together. Let's see.